Well, welcome to the Monday Minute of the Hunt's Back Country podcast. These are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Joined today by Steve. How are you, man? Good. Real good. Had a good uh, good weekend. My daughter turned seven here, I guess, Wednesday. But we had kind of a, her friend's birthday party on Saturday. And yeah, just it's fun. Fun yeah. to see your child growing up before your eyes. We're going to make this a parenting podcast suddenly, but you said it made me think of it. My daughter had her freshman homecoming this weekend. So talk about little girl growing up before your eyes. She was all their stuff. And then we had like six teenage girls stay the night over the weekend. So I definitely need some like refreshed testosterone after this weekend. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. But survived. Um. Yeah, we just got back light, uh, late last week um, from elk hunting slash deer hunting. It was definitely more of an elk hunt than a deer hunt, <laughs> which you guys will uh, hear about. We recorded the story, so that'll be coming out Wednesday. Um, the short story has had some success, but uh, yeah, more to come uh, after that story on Wednesday. And then if you guys have questions from that, uh, definitely let us know. We can tackle some questions on a future Monday Minute. But Steve, since we had some success and put the packs to work it made me think of pack cleaning and we actually had a perfect uh not question but suggestion come through from a listener of the podcast about cleaning your pack uh he shared a message on SpeakPipe, so go ahead and play that now and we can uh share some thoughts or elaborate hey guys this is scott o from asotan washington i have a quick tip about washing your pack after a successful hunt I know this has been a topic of a few different podcasts and questions. This year, I've found that taking the bag, the lid, and the load shelf off of the pack and placing them inside of an extra large pillowcase and then tying that off on the top has worked great. I just throw everything in the bag. You don't have to take any of the keepers or the buckles off of any of the uh, pack or the accessories. And you wash them all together. Um, it's worked great in a top load and a front load washing machine. So there's nothing out there flopping around to get caught in any of the mechanisms of the washing machine. It works great. So I thought I'd pass it along to see if you guys have ever, uh, ever done that yourselves. Uh, keep up the great work. Love that podcast and best of luck out there, everyone. All right, Scott, thanks for sharing that. I like that, uh, idea, Steve. I may try it myself. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm sitting there going like, why haven't I tried that before? No, <laughs> it's a, right? It seems pretty simple. Yeah, no, that's certainly. I don't see any downside to it, frankly. Yeah, I, I frankly, like all you know, we don't we tell people don't stuff throw stuff in the washing machine, but I personally do it where I'll just throw in a you know five or six big towels, and then again the the lid and the bag. You can certainly just throw in the washing machine, the frame. Obviously, you wouldn't. Um, want to do that without completely taking things apart but that um it certainly works the the cleanest pack i've ever seen to date i still is a guy who's just like well yeah after i killed something i just threw it um in a cold creek and put rocks in it right and just the the cold water just running over it constantly after a couple hours just pulls all the blood out of that thing and uh yeah that that, that was a guy this was a couple three, four years ago, you know, at least a guy who I know he'd posted a bunch of photos online packing out stuff. And he brought in his pack one day and it was just like, is this a different pack than what you normally use? I mean, I was kind of confused because it was just like pristine looking and it's like, no, it's just what I do every time. And so, um, obviously he took 
good care of his stuff, but he was also diligent about cleaning it right afterwards. Yeah. That's the great thing with the creek is like it, you don't have to, we talk about soaking them, right? And then you have to flush yeah. water because you're just creating dirty water that it's sitting in. But the creek is just like constant fresh water running through it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, I think if you're on a hunt and you got to, you know, it's a sunny day where you could let it run in the creek for a couple hours, you're, you're a day in between hunts or something, and then let it, you know, probably needs eight hours of good sunlight to completely dry out with all the foam and stuff like that. The, the bag and lid would dry out much quicker. Um, it's certainly worthwhile doing. Yeah, that's what I liked about speak pipe question that he shared. That suggestion is uh, there's nothing wrong with washing, you know, the hip belt and the harness and all those foams and everything. You're not going to hurt anything by soaking them or getting them wet, but they do take the longest to dry. So, and then they're obviously from a, a pack out perspective, they're not typically getting bloody. So if you just take the bag and then the upper portion of the frame, the fabric portion, and then maybe not even the lid, depends, you know, how you packed, what you packed, but do that in the big pillowcase, like you said, and wash it. That seems like a really good option. So I'm I'm legit going to try it. We had one more question that I, I want to stay on the pack topic uh, because I've seen this question slash topic uh, come up even recently. Um and I think there's just some like misconceptions, clarifications, and understanding that uh, people could have just about, and this isn't unique to our packs, but about you know the purpose, benefit, and function of load lifters in a pack system. So I'll go ahead and play the speak, speak pipe question now. Hey guys, love the podcast. Currently on the mountain training with my K4. I did a couple of hikes with the pack just as it came tried to break it in a little bit, loving the pack, then watch the videos on the adjustments. And I got to tell you, they helped immensely. Although I have the same frame as Steve, I needed to make some of the adjustments and now I'm making micro adjustments on the mountain, which is really helpful. My question is about load lifters. I've got a backpacking background and never really understood load lifters, but just adjusted them until it felt good. Can you explain how to use them appropriately? Do you adjust the load going uphill or downhill or what should we be concerned about? All right. So solid question. Thanks for sending that in, Tim. I know that's a high level. Like, I mean, he mentioned some specifics like going uphill, downhill, et cetera. We can get into that later. Mm-hmm. But like first, like he just was asking like, hey, I've, I've backpacked, I've used packs. I don't necessarily fully understand load lifters or what I should be doing and just adjust them to feel good. Um, Yeah. Enlighten us, Steve, on on the load lifters, kind of like their purpose, and then I guess we can get into adjustment from there. Yeah, essentially, the, you, you're going to see them called load lifters, sometimes maybe even load stabilizers. The it the function they serve is really going to depend on the frame, the overall frame design, right? Uh, a load lifter, if you have a frame that's only 20 inches tall. Right. So it's not actually sticking above your shoulders. They're still going to have a strap at the top that's going to be quote unquote called a load lifter. But if the frame isn't above the top of your shoulders, it has no ability to lift. It's just going to be pulling the frame into, into, you know, closer to your neck. Right. Um, so there's that. You definitely need for a load lifter to function that needs to be higher than the top of your shoulders. Like how high, you know, just depends on a lot of different factors. Uh, basically how much weight you're hauling and 
your preferences, but just, I like to have, I'd say at a minimum two and a half to three inches above the top of your shoulders with, with, you know, you're, you're running like a 30 pound pack that uh, you kind of want that amount of, of height. And so with like uh, one of the struggles as a pack designer is you want that frame as, basically as high as possible back there so that the, the load lifters are, as you cinch them up, like taking load off the top of your shoulders, really it'll lift the load off top of your shoulders and just transfer to like your chest. So it just kind of reduces some of that fatigue. It makes the pack feel quote unquote lighter. Obviously you didn't change the weight of what's inside the pack, but because the weight isn't riding right directly on top of your shoulders, it feels a lot better. And then, um, yeah, so going back as a pack designer, it's like you want lift, but also we got to have head clearance. We're hunting in the mountains. You're constantly, you know, especially when you're hiking uphill and you're kind of naturally like leaning forward and then you need to to look up or, you know, you're glassing uphill with your binoculars. You want, you don't want your head just immediately hitting the top of the frame or, you know, say you're, you could even be antelope hunting and you're crawling on your hands and knees, you know, with your bow in your hand, trying to make a, get closer to an animal. Like you need that ability to, to lift your head. So you're trying to balance the function of the load lifter having enough height to actually do anything with head clearance and that's why we offer you know it's why k3 had adjustable frame heights we had two of them and then when we went to k4 you got four different frame heights to choose from and then even within that the ability to shorten different ones to customize it to really fine-tune that for your liking and um yeah that all just depends on your torso and your setup and how you run the pack exactly like you know there's some very general rules we can follow and then from there it's just personal preference and it sounds like that's exactly what this guy was kind of doing is you know he's up there in the mountains playing with it getting things dialed into to exactly what he likes and it'll you know just it definitely changes uh, a little bit just depending on the load if you got 30 pounds in there or you're loaded up for 10 days and you got you know 50 pounds um so that'll, that'll change the um I think load lifters are the, if you jump on like a forum, like rock slide or something like that, they are probably overstated how important they are. Like I will take a poorly designed or sorry, <laughs> backwards. Uh, <laughs> I will take a 20 inch frame. I'll take a 20 inch K4 frame. Like I'll, gladly run that any day of the week over a poorly designed frame that's 26 inches tall right like the we're trying to transfer 80 percent of the weight to the hips so you're only talking that difference of you know say you're, you got a 100 pound load only 20 of it's going to your shoulders so whether or not you completely transfer all that 20 off of your shoulders or not with with a like with a frame that's tall enough to have load lifter that uh, it's not nearly as important as just the ability of that frame to transfer the weight to your hips and be and ride and be comfortable. So I did plenty of hikes with with our women's frame as I was developing K4 and would do 70, 80 pound hikes. And it was entirely comfortable. I wouldn't want to do, I could do, you know, in a 25 or 26 and a half inch K4, I could, I could do 70, 80 pounds like all day long. Uh, like with that shorter frame, certainly I'd kind of have like, my neck would be a little sore at the end of the day. Um, but that's about it. The, the, you know, your, your neck and shoulders would just be kind of sore. Like kind of, you just like, ah, uh, kind of stick your 
hand up there and give yourself a little massage to loosen that back up. But for the most part, out hiking around, it's like it's still entirely comfortable. So um, frame height's important. It's not the end all be all that some people like to make it out to be. So there's a, there's a lot more important things that go into the frame design than the actual height of the frame. But that being said, certainly we we address it we with K four right with all the with the different heights and the ability to change it because it it does play a role and it's an important role, um, just not just not the end all be all. Um, did I cover everything? Yeah, I think covered it's it well. What, I, yeah, what one thing that came to mind listening to that question is that the most common thing I see is guys put the pack on. They got they got heavyweight in the pack. They put the pack on. They cinch the belt up really good and tight. They grab the harness. They crank it really tight, and they grab the load lifters and they literally pull and pull and pull until it doesn't come any further. Right, and that is the biggest mistake I see. The we really just preach because all they did was just kind of jack up the entire suspension they transferred way too much weight their chest is getting like smashed in into the pack now um, you just like as we always preach in all the fitting videos and stuff put the back on center the waist on the hips get it good and snug whether it's 30 pounds or 100 pounds you always want that belt essentially tight enough that it can take the weight of what's inside the pack and then the Make sure the load lifters are completely loose. There's plenty of slack in them. And then you're just going to lightly tighten up the the uh, shoulder harness straps so that there's no, you know, you don't want like a lot of slop. You want the pack to be stable. And then you're going to go to the load lifter and just just start pulling on them. Like with, with the load lifters loose, if you kind of lean, you know, you're just standing up, right? And you just lean forward and back, you're going to feel it kind of flop a little bit. It's going to just kind of all of a sudden shift like one to two inches you're just going to lightly pull on those lift load lifters until that is gone. Anything beyond that is going backwards. You're actually doing more damage to how that pack is going to ride and feel than, than vice versa. So again, we just see it. Like we got the showroom at the office. We go to trade shows where we have these weighted packs. I just guys repeatedly, they tighten everything up and they grab those lift load lifters. They lean forward and they just start pulling on them. Uh, and I'm just like, Nope, stop. Kind of interrupt them, get everything set back to zero. And uh, the pack's going to feel way better for you. Yeah, it's important that it's important that you touch those load lifters last. Like the order of what you just said and everything is important, Steve. Like they're the last thing that you're dialing in. And then, yeah, not too much tension. Um, and then the other inherent important thing in that is, is you're taking the pack on and off to be able to set the tension in the load lifters. You need to obviously start with them loose, right? So you can't set the tension if you already right. have tension. Um, and so even, I mean, to this day, like every time I take the pack off, I'm loosening the load lifters and the shoulder harness, partially the shoulder harness just to be able to get out of the pack easier, but also the load lifters. And it only takes a second, especially once you know what you're looking for in terms of feel to set that load lifter tension. So like when we were just packing out an elk, um, you know, last week, there's a couple times in a pack out, we'd stop and take a quick break, take the pack off, whatever. Every time I am, you know, loosening load of tension, loosening the harness, taking the pack off. When I put the pack back on, setting the hip belt, setting the shoulder harness tension, uh, and then just dialing in that load lifter tension. I mean, it becomes a habit when you do it, but if you don't do it intentionally to begin with, 
um, it's going to be really hard to have the proper adjustment. So, and and from my point of view, like you don't, if you have it set up right, and say we're you know we're on your elk hunt, or we got our gear, you know, thirty pounds, we're hiking in. I take my pack off to you know we're going to sit down on glass. I don't need to. I'm not changing the weight of the pack or how it's riding. Right. I don't need to change everything. Uh, so I should be able to just throw the pack back on, button up the waist belt, snug it down. Uh, clip the sternum strap together and I'm good to go. Like there shouldn't be a lot there. It's especially when you're changing the weight of the pack. Cause it's, you're going to change essentially just where it's riding on your body. You're, you're fighting gravity. Um, and then, so that's when you really want to make sure that you're loose up the load lifters and they don't have to be like drastically loose. You just, just enough so that there's some slack in it when you put the pack on. Well, hopefully we didn't lose a bunch of people on that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. They're, I will like, that, We'll leave links if you guys, again, even not just for our pack, but like we'll leave links to some of the information, one of which is a more recent video and article that we did on some of the common pack mistakes we see. Yeah. And we talked in that about uh, several things, load lifters being one of them. And so even if you've watched our like standard sizing video or something like that, but you haven't seen this pack mistakes video, I would definitely go check that out because... We made that video for a reason. It is, you know, when we see people make mistakes, it's not frequent that they do, but when we do, it's typically one of these three things we cover in this video. Um, so it's just a good resource to check out to make sure that you're not making one of those mistakes. Yeah, yeah. that it's definitely a great, um, we just see that really often where you, you've tightened up the low lifter, you don't loosen it up, you change the weight of the pack, you put it back on, and then because the load lifter wasn't loose to begin with this, the harness is now sitting kind of funny on the frame. And then you basically kind of redo all the steps and then you end up tighten the load lifter again. And you'll see it's really clear, especially in that common mistakes pack video that the, uh, all of our harnesses for every generation of pack, there's a seam that we sew right into where the, essentially the imagine the back pad of the shoulder harness should break away from the frame, like start coming away from the frame and going over the top of your shoulders. The if you just take take the pack off and set it off on the ground, that should just happen, right? The if the if that seam and uh, and above that seam is like sandwiched back against the top of the frame, then it's a really clear indicator that you got things all messed up. You most likely need to raise the torso up on that. Um, right, I remember seeing. There's a younger guy at Hunt Expo and he came up and had his K3 looking like that. And I'm like, Hey, let me fix your pack for you real quick. And, and he looked at me like, I'm crazy. Like, no dude, it was, it was I packed an elk last year. It was super comfortable. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's going to be better now. Like, let me adjust this for you and get it all set back, set back correctly. Cause it will, will definitely make a difference in how that pack rides and feels. All right. Onwards. Um, one question came through just, I, worth mentioning because I have received a couple questions. Guys were basically essentially still asking if I was going to do a podcast and or video review of all of the gear from the sheep hunt because I had mentioned that. And so one guy in particular was like, hey man, you said this. It was over a month ago. Where's it at? <laughs> I get it. Uh, I've just been super busy like between work and still hunting. So it is still happening. It honestly probably won't be till uh well, I know it won't be until later in November. Um, but yeah, I do still plan to do like a full debrief re recap, what worked well, what didn't from the sheep hunt. I'll 
show like what's in my pack all that good stuff so it is coming um we'll still do that and if you guys have questions um feel free to send those in speaking of sending in questions steve we i think haphazardly i don't remember how this came up but we had this one question that came through to us and it was a would you rather question and i said it would Mm -hmm. be really fun to have a a would you rather segment occasionally so listeners if you have a would you rather question um send that to us we'll do more of these in the future but we did have one uh this is a little bit of insider knowledge steve but it came from jeff bloomquist a good buddy of ours (laughs) who's been on the podcast numerous times who knows you very well steve so we had a, a would you rather question for you specifically and you're not prepped on this so this is jeff's question steve would you rather call someone to help you come back out a bowl or pass on a spike slash raghorn because <laughs> you've talked before about how you hate asking for help and you've you know talked before about how you tend to not pass up legal bowls and you love tasty tasty spikes so would you rather have to ask someone for help on packing out a bowl or would you rather pass on a spike or raghorn bowl easy easy question i'll, I'll call for help you will call for I help. <laughs> I don't. I don't pass on spikes. No. Uh, yeah. No way. No. <laughs> uh, so that was a fun one, and just. But we do have some other ones. Uh, we'll we'll save them for another day. Some good. Would you rather segments? Um, so send those in if you guys have other questions. Um. Actually, speaking of sending stuff in, this is uh, a podcast that I'm excited about in the future. Uh, we had a question come through, I think a few weeks ago on. As you're processing game, how to keep hair off of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we answered that from our perspective. We also got um, some good input we did? from... We did? Yeah, we did. Or I, I did. There. I don't know. You I wasn't there? there that day. Maybe it was solo. Nope. All right, now, Steve, what are your tips from keeping hair off of game during the field care process? I could have swore you were there. I don't remember asking or uh-huh. answering this solo. If I was there, I was one of the, I was like daydreaming about something else that <laughs> can happen frequently. Um, what are your off the fly tips then? Really sharp knife and then cut with the hair, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, yeah, cut basically down the back instead of up the back and then right. work a sharp knife, cut with the hair, and then also just work slower, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you yeah. can cut, if you can get that knife in there and then you're not, you know, it's kind of, common for you like start zipping down the back or the leg or whatever and then it you know you it slips out and then you have to start a new edge and you're cutting new hair follicles like just slow down and you can really you know if you're paying attention you can do a really good job Uh, but and then a sharp knife has a huge role in that what was your tips uh a lot of the above like you know work with the hair etc and then it just talked about um like especially um, trying to to skin the animal kind of, I don't want to say as much as possible, but to do a good job skinning the animal and then laying that skin back so that you're, you're you know, you're getting a lot of the hair away from the meat and mm-hmm. creating a surface where you can like, you know, when, like we just did that elk and, you know, skinning that back in a way and laying the hair down, which leaves the inside the skin up. It just gets a lot of hair away from the meat as you're working on the meat itself. So almost like making sure that you're separating the, 
even in the field, the quote unquote skinning from actually working on the meat and not just like, oh, let me skin this front quarter and get this front quarter off, but I'm rubbing that front quarter up against like the ribs that haven't been skinned, for example, because now you're, as you're working on that front quarter, if you have the the skin up on the ribs, like up towards the back straps, you're, you know, you're just going to have more contact between meat and hair, for example. That was one of them. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. But we, we had some advice from listeners, some good stuff, such as like, and this wasn't field care, but a couple guys mentioned if you have hair on the meat, you can take something like a torch uh, when you're back at home and just do quick passes with a torch and that hair is going to like singe or burn off real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like obviously outside of the field. But we also had someone reach out with some advice and he he mentioned a couple things. I want to save part of it and I'll get to why in a second. One of which is helpful though is he also mentioned just going to make your cuts where the hair is thinner. So, for example, on a front quarter, if you kind of roll towards the inside of the leg, the hair is just thinner towards that inside back portion. And you can make your cut there and start to skin there. And you're just naturally cutting where there's thinner or less hair. So that was a good quick tip. But this guy mentioned he is a professional meat cutter and he's a hunter. And so I wanted to get him on the podcast, not just to talk about skinning and in the field, but this whole topic in general. Meat care, cutting, skinning, in the field, at home, mistakes, all that. So that is something we're going to do with him. And all that said to say, any specific questions that you guys want to hear about that topic, anything related to it, send an email so that we can make sure we answer those when we interview this guy. Because it'll be, I'm excited about it. We've talked with, you know, we've talked with chefs in the past, right? About like meat care, meat preparation. We've talked with people about in the field care. I don't know that I've ever gotten a chance to like, okay, here's a meat cutter who not only is a hunter and a meat cutter, but obviously as a meat cutter and game processor, he sees all the good, bad, and the ugly about what people bring in. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited to to chat with him and to get his perspective. It's probably going to be a while before we do that because right now he's in the middle of a busy time of year, of course. Um, but yeah, if you guys have questions uh, to ask for that episode, let us know. It's going to be a fun one. Oh, I like it. One final one, Steve. We've we've had some great archery questions, and I'm really excited about doing some more in-depth archery stuff, like full episodes in the future. But one question came through is essentially the short version is this. Is getting, quote unquote, into the weeds with building arrows worth it? And so the guy was talking about how he's always purchased, you know, assembled complete arrows, right? And he's talking about, oh, is it worth it to buy my own shafts and, you know, fletch my own stuff and do the inserts and calculate FOC and, you know, the cutting and the spinning and checking spine and like all of the into the weeds topics about building arrows. Essentially, my answer, and obviously feel free to add after it, Steve, is I think there's a lot of really, really good arrows these days that are really consistent and you can buy off the shelf and they're going to fly great and if you build your own arrow you may not exceed that in terms of real world accuracy or performance but the benefit the biggest benefit to me about getting quote unquote into the weeds 
isn't necessarily the the end product or the end result, but it's what you actually learn in the process. And I think it's very similar with like reloading. There's a lot of good factory ammunition right now, and you may not, may or may not be able to exceed that if you reload your own stuff. But you're going to know a heck of a lot more if you build your own arrows or reload your ammunition versus just shooting what's quote unquote off the shelf. And that isn't to say that you need to do it, but I will just say that the value of it may or may not be the end product, but you will for sure gain value from understanding the process, the components, the things that affect arrow flight, bullet flight, et cetera. So that's my short answer on that. What are your thoughts, Steve? The will he see significant improvement in the field? No, flat out. No, um, the, yeah, there's, you know, it's certainly if you're just buying quality components, if you're, you know, buying, uh, I don't know, jumping on eBay and buying some unbranded carbon arrow or something like that, that sure there obviously there's going to be some chances that there's some issues there, but so long as, you know, it's their quality components, his actual the the kit the performance can you gain would be next to nothing right like there's um not a lot to be had there i would say if you have the time sure absolutely do it but i think you would be way like even compare this to rifle right like spending 10 hours in your garage developing custom loads or buying factory loads and just going out in the mountains and shooting at rocks and steel targets. Like what, what do you think is going to have a better impact on you actually killing that animal come hunting season? Right. Mm -hmm. Like no question getting up in the mountains and just shooting and practicing and shooting in different positions is going to have significantly more impact than whether or not you can shoot, you know, you can get your half MOA group down to a quarter MOA and, shoot 20 feet per second faster or 100 feet per second faster like that's all a freaking giant moot point compared to actually having in the in the field experience and there's nothing you can do better than getting out there and practicing so if you know said fletching arrows and you know reloading like you know you're maybe doing that on a sunday night watching a football game or something like that uh, i guess technically when you're reloading you're not supposed to be distracted um but Depends uh, what step i guess yeah yeah um which fudging arrows you, you know it's certainly something when i when i do it's like just put something on the tv and kind of set up a little station there in the living room and do it but um uh, yeah i think just said time is everything time's your asset and uh if you only have so much time i think you'd be way way better off to just be practice uh, be out there practicing than spending a bunch of time in your garage fletching arrows um and again the the performance gain is i mean very very minimal i like it well yeah we uh we will get more into the weeds on some of the archery stuff because we've had some great questions and like steve even you and i mentioned like revisiting broadhead flight some of those topics so um i'm excited to dive more into that that is wrap for today guys as always i i threw a lot at you questions on meat cutting meat care uh would you rather any of this archery stuff, uh, as always, anything else, any suggestions, whether that's guests, topics, et cetera, 
just send an email to podcast at examongear.com. Stay tuned this week. We have our uh, recap of our recent hunt uh, coming out on Wednesday. Some uh, good adventures had, lessons learned. Um, yeah, it was a fun hunt to kind of chat through and think about some unique uh, aspects to it for us. So that's coming. Uh, and then, as always, if you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow. Do that in your podcast app so that you receive those future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon.